Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. This is episode number 96. I'm joined, as always, by Logan and Becky. On today's episode, we're going to talk about shop dangers and shop snacks, among other things. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. All right. Welcome to Becky in her second Shop Notes podcast appearance. And welcome back to everybody after our extra long, unexpected Thanksgiving hiatus. We took a couple of bye weeks because we're that far up the charts on the uh, ratings. So we have secured home field advantage throughout the rest of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Minnesota Vikings. Right. Aww. Aww. Sorry, Eric Loggy. Yeah. I think one of the best parts about our staff is how widely our loyalties lie for various sports teams. Because we have somebody like Eric Loggy who has been rooting for the Minnesota Vikings for way too long. Mm-hmm. And then you and Todd, with your oddball Miami Dolphinness, we're fish out of water. Right, L- literally. Literally. Uh, I'm genetically a Packer fan. Um, who else? Well, we used to have uh, Bob Kemp was here. He was our other NFC North yeah, he representative. Was he was a Bears fan. Yeah. Which spanned the time when the Bears went to the Super Bowl that year with Iowa native. Um, ah, dang it. Can't remember what's his face oh, from Southeast Polk. He was a Ram. Um, quick Google it. Quick Google it. Kyle Orton. Kyle Orton, yeah. Was it? Because I just completely guessed. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> okay, that was good. it. Kyle Orton. Sorry, Kyle. I know yeah. he's an avid listener of the Shop Notes podcast. Oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think who else we have for fans here. I mean, Mark is a football fan, but of the round ball English variety. We call it soccer in America. <laughs> and John's favorite pro team is Iowa State, I believe. So, I think so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was, uh, to get off track, I was thinking that... Uh, you could, because you have your, you have your latest project in your office with you there, Logan. I do, <laughs> and I don't know how to like, yeah, right. Because you want to caveat it, and that's where I wanted to go with this episode is because it's Christmas time, and I've made quite a number of Christmas gifts over the years, and. Still have a couple left to finish thanks to an illness that I've been suffering from the last couple of weeks. I haven't been able to to get in the shop to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've built some projects, tools, and other things that have a certain amount of risk involved. Okay. For example, I made a spill plane for my sister several years ago. And for those of you who have the same look on your face as Becky does right now, a spill plane, a spill plane is used where it's usually a stationary plane and you pass a piece of wood across it. And the blade is set at such an angle that the shaving that's created is very tightly wound and long. So it creates what's essentially a match. And you can use to you could use it to help start a fire if you have uh, a fireplace like my sister does, 
or it was also used to transfer a flame, you know, like from a fireplace to a lantern or from a candle to a fireplace or wood stove or something like that. So it's, it's functional and practical in its use, but it also has a certain element of danger in it because there is an exposed blade. So you have to be careful in using it. I thought you meant use, like, like it was dangerous because it was fire. No, more okay. just like it's a blade. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, and yes, because there is one certain plane in the shop that has bitten me three or four times every time I use it. It's that rabbit, the Veritas rabbit plane. Oh, yeah, yeah. It sticks out just enough that every time I grab it, it nicks me. Yep. So I can see slicing your fingers off. It's kind of like the super slicer for carrots. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, so. I don't think that's the plane, Logan. I think that's karma that bites you. (laughs) Aww. Who invited her? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, the spill plane could be kind of like a fireplace version of a kitchen mandolin designed to take your fingertips off not the instrument the mandolin the kitchen tool okay um and i've given a couple of other tools as gifts also so there's sharp blades involved or you know a jig that you need to use safely at tools but you've logan you've taken that to Another fun level with one of your pop wood projects. Well, yeah, but I'm going to say people today are smarter than people in the 70s when this particular thing was outlawed. Um, so one of our pop wood projects, well, let me rephrase this. This upcoming issue is an outdoor issue. It's all outdoor projects, right? Um, Cal, we're doing a set of three yard games. Colin did ladder golf. Daniel did, uh, is it pronounced Coob? Cub? Cub? Coob? Cub? Coob. I call it Cub. Oh. I've heard Coob, so. Well, okay, so whatever that game is, right? Right. Um, and we're kind of taking the tack, and, and I'll be the first to tell you. This outdoor issue was something that was kind of, like, set up before I even took over. It wouldn't be my first choice on how to focus an issue, but, it, I mean, it will be fine. Outdoor right. projects are popular, and everybody loves drinking games. Like, outdoor drinking games. Like, tailgating games, right? There you go. So, I decided to make the best drinking and playing game of all. And that's lawn darts. So, that's right. Yeah. So... Lawn darts were outlawed back in the 70s or 80s after one particular unfortunate young girl was killed by lawn darts. I believe her brother and her brother's friends were playing lawn darts in the backyard. I've researched this. Uh, And her brother's friend threw a lawn dart. She ran across the yard and got punctured through the skull with it. So that coupled with thousands of Injuries across the world outlawed lawn darts. Now, I I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I have a problem with people being stupid. So right, because the same thing could happen playing horseshoes. Yeah, or I mean, baseball. you wouldn't get I mean, punctured, but yeah, or how many people <clears throat> die playing that English game of soccer from cardiac arrest? You know, like. Those are usually just floppers, though. They're faking it, just trying to draw a penalty. <laughs> I apologize to anybody whose family has suffered a loss due to soccer. <laughs> um, but no, like, in my mind, I'm showing how to make this a lawn dart. With the caveat of don't be an idiot when you're playing it. Like, right. responsibility falls upon you as the consumer to not be drinking and darting right um just i mean yes so i guess that's that's all i have to say about it freaking fun little project i mean it's some turning it's some metalworking it's some uh hdpeing um so 
Let's make that up, Becky. It's not a real thing. High density polyethylene. Yeah, I got that. Yes. One. Uh, so, no, I mean, just a fun little project. I figured, I was thinking, okay, what am I going to, like, yeah, ladder golf, great one to make. Coop, never heard of it. That's a great beginner project. So, we kind of stage these projects as a beginner, intermediate, advanced type of thing. Um, this being the advanced one because it takes some more turning and time and, and stuff like that. Um, but I started thinking, what would I want to go outside and play? Like, bags? Meh. Uh, nothing else is really something that I think I could easily make and fit into a two- or three-page article, which is what each of these projects are. So I thought this would be a fun one. Now, I will point out this tip is blunt. Like, it's not going to damage me. It's about an eighth-inch radius on the end. So it's not like it's sharp. It's not like you're not going to punch a hole in somebody's vehicle with this thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, they would hurt if they hit you. And they would probably send you to the, to the ER. So then you turned the metal piece, yes, too, right? Yes, I turned the brass ferrule. So this thing started off as a piece of three-quarter inch brass. So I, I turned that, faced it off, drilled a hole, and then drilled a mortise on the inside for a tenon that's on this. The through hole is for the 01 tool steel uh, spear tip. Um, the maple dart shaft is obviously turned with a tenon on it to fit inside of here. This thing, this sh the shank goes down to about here somewhere, so hmm. it should be pretty strong. Uh, hard maple, turned it all, then ran it through the table saw to make the spline or the slots for the fins. Okay. Okay. So I left the end square back here so you can run it through the table saw and clock at 90 degrees. Then you square those up with the bandsaw and a chisel. Uh, put the fins in after you cut them to shape with a bandsaw. And then you plug the curves with just some, uh, just some maple. So then you got a lawn dart. And I, I'm assuming you're supposed to throw these underhand, you know. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> underhand, high arc, so they the weight pulls them down, and you're aiming for a target. Now, I was under the impression there was three per pack, or three per team. So three darts per team. That is incorrect. What I thought I was seeing from the old vintage sets was three darts. What I was seeing was two darts and an extra fin, in case a fin got damaged. Mm. So that was my little surprise present for yesterday when I realized I only needed to make four of these instead of six of them. So, I have one down, I need to do the other three. Um, and I was originally going to do, like, a plywood circle target. So, like, just a trammel, route out a, a plywood ring, basically. Yeah. But I'm like, that's dumb, I don't want to do that. So, what I have seen um, in some of the modern lawn darts, which are kind of, like, nerf lawn darts, basically. Right. Like sandbag lawn darts. Uh, they use rope rings. And I'm like, oh, it's perfect. You could wad it up, throw it in a bag with these things, and you're good to go. So, so yeah, I guess... And this this brings up the question. Like, I feel like we've talked about this before. We may have. If we... If a magazine, a publication, not, not us. There's other publications. Um, they're not good, but if they're... You know, they're just publications. Uh, anyways, if a publication shows you a project... <clears throat> or shows how to build a project. Whose responsibility does the use of that project land on? Right. Because I'm trying to make lawn darts in the pretense of don't be stupid. I'm not at fault for any dumb crap you do with these. We have shown in the past at Woodsmith and recently how to build baby cribs. Now those are heavily regulated. Does that mean that if somebody builds one of our cribs and a kid gets their arm caught in there and falls out and breaks their arm, are we at fault for that? Or is that I, I mean I there's some very muddy waters there. I'm not I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. Right. So and this is a fun one because people could make all sorts of comments about the condition of the nanny state and 
liability law and all that kind of stuff. Because there is an element of, you know, like tool manufacturers have an implicit obligation to create tools that function as they should in a safe way. Yes. Table saw doesn't turn on by itself. Right. <clears throat> um, but there's also, like, you can do ridiculous things with almost anything and end up getting yourself hurt. Yes. So, yeah. But again, which is why I kind of wanted to talk about this in the sense that, you know, we feature, you know, like for this upcoming issue of Woodsmith that we're working on. Mm -hmm. Do next week. I used it today. We have a 20 inch, 220 volt disc sander. That's how I tapered these points. Yeah. And that boy, bad boy, when you fire it up, hums. And can remove a lot of material quickly, which is why we wanted to feature it because a uh, commercially made 20 inch disc sander is not in the budget friendly workshop list. Cause I think we looked it up and uh, saw some that were in the like several grand category. Yep. Um, you can find vintage ones, but then you're into that vintage buyer beware, yeah. you know, is this a three phase thing that you need yep. to deal with all that kind of stuff. So, um, but because it can remove a lot of material, that material could be plywood, steel fingers, you know, like, so it relates to like, we made it so that if you follow our instructions, you will have a smooth operating tool, but the operator has to pay attention on it also. We are not. You <laughs> like know. if you if you accidentally take your finger down to the third knuckle, right. which it will do. <laughs> yeah. So this follows under my this <clears throat> follows under my don't be dumb category. Yeah. Like my wife tells me I'm insensitive because I kind of one of my favorite terms as I'm driving around during the day to day, and people will probably think less of me for this, is like that's called natural selection. Like, I mean, I know it's insensitive, but you know what? It, this is something that this, it's funny because this is actually something that's very real and very much a discussion point in the AAW, the American Association of Woodturners, is responsibility. The responsibility of safety is the woodworkers or the turners your safety falls squarely upon you now that's assuming that you're using a tool that was manufactured to be safe right which i, I think we can all assume that they are um but it's like god don't here, hold on. Let me let let me just help you stick that keys in that electrical outlet. Right. I've done that. <laughs> when I was young, I was two. Don't blame me, Becky. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like, if somebody is in their shop, so okay. Here's a good example: mag switches. So mag switches on tools are there for a very particular reason. I don't think most people know this. The whole point of a magnetic switch is that if the tool is powered on and somehow during the operation of that tool, power is cut off to the house. Say, say Phil Huber's tree fell and it cut off the entire block's power. Happened recently. Right. Uh, somebody was in their shop at three in the morning and their table saw shut off because power just got shut down. First thing they're thinking of is, what the hell? Second thing they're probably not thinking of is, I should probably hit the off switch. A mag switch turns itself off. So when the power's restored, it doesn't kick back on. Like, right. you know, like your lights in your house do with the toggle switch. So the mag switch, is a, it's, a, it's a redundant safety feature. So you're saying a grinding tool should have a mag switch. A, a what? A grinding tool? A grinder? Yes, a grinder like Mark used. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so no, that was kind of operator error. Was it? Though? I think so. I don't know. 
I mean, that's a topic for discussion. <laughs> um, but like, if some so for example, I have a bandsaw that had a make switch on it. Um, my my powermatic bat at home had a mag switch on it, but during the course of living down at our old video studio, that mag switch got taken to get our TV set bandsaw running again. Well, I did not replace it with a mag switch. I replaced it with a standard on-off switch because it was way too expensive for a mag switch. Would I, do you think, have a leg to stand on if I would get injured with that somehow? I get injured with that, and I say, Power Mac, this is your fault. No, you avoid, you avoided the warranty, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of what the I, tag off the mattress. <laughs> nope. I agree with you. So it just wasn't interesting. Yeah, like once you modify a tool, it's your responsibility. Yeah, especially if you didn't use, you know, technically like an authorized part, or, you know, a replacement that's part fair. or something. Yeah, it was in an OEM part. Right. So the incident with Mark that Becky was referring to. Becky, you were there, right? I was not. Oh, you weren't? Oh, I thought you were. No, I just saw the after effects. (laughs) Everybody saw the after effects. Nobody was injured. Let's just say that up front. But uh, one of the other projects in our upcoming issue of Woodsmith is a carved uh, side table. It's a laminated. It's, yeah, it's laminated. Stacked laminated. Yep. So you, so you basically cut a bunch of wood to shape, to rough shape, stack it, glue it together, and then you come in and power carve it. So you come in, you carve it down with a grinder. Uh, so Mark, they were gonna, they wanted photos of this for the article, and Mark's like, "Yeah, I'll come out and show you." And he pulled, he took the grinder out there set it on the bench, and plug the grinder in. Well, the the grinder on switch was locked on, because you can lock them on. If you're doing a lot of grinding, it's easier to lock it on. Um, and that's kind of a standard grinder feature. It was locked on. And it took off across the bench, and it plowed a groove in that bench like a freaking uh, snow plow. I mean, it's awesome. I'm sure it scared the crap out of everybody that was out there. Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> Well, and years before, that happened with a handheld router. Isn't that correct? That Wyatt was... Was it Wyatt? One of our previous editors? Yes, I believe it was Wyatt. That was that other MDF-topped bench that we ended up having to patch the top of it, yeah. He plugged it in, and it took off, so... Now, let's just be... Let's be clear. People do that on purpose occasionally. They do the belt sander races... Right, but they don't do router races. That's Why the... not? Yeah. Hmm. See, I've never. I I guess I've never had that happen to me. I've. I don't I've... know. I'm always very scared that it's going to happen. I don't want to be that idiot in the shop, so I always double check my switch. Yeah. Uh... It, it, I mean, it happens in our shop because we have so many people oh, yeah. using the tool and moving it between yeah. the shop and the sets, and it's easy to yeah. not pay attention to that on switch. Yeah, and I was gonna—that's what I was gonna say—is that I think a lot of the times, if it happens around here, it's because of larger distractions. Not that we operate unsafely around here, but there's, <laughs> you know, so there are things going on in a home workshop that simplify it because it's usually just one person in a shop. We got eight people in the shop though. And here we have a bunch of people and then we have several operations going on at once where you're not necessarily, you know, in addition to the project at hand are, you know, needs for video or photo work. Mm -hmm. So there is, moving things back and forth and so yeah and just the sheer volume of stuff that we have going on means that even if you have a very low percentage chance of something happening it's more likely to happen the more you do it so yeah now i will say my butt has turned on my sawmill a handful of times (laughs) literally my butt (laughs) <laughs> because when I push the head to one end, 
I reach over, grab a board, and if the head rolls back, the handle hits me, like, right at the waistline, and it's a simple squeeze-on-and-off lever, so all of a sudden the saw will fire up. It always scares me, so it's always, like... It, it turning on doesn't scare me. It always scares me the, the possibility of me checking something on the blade and whoever I'm sawing for walks up and leans on it. So I always oh, make sure before yeah. I touch a blade, I'm shut, shutting it off because I don't want somebody to accidentally cut my hands off. I'd feel worse for them than I would for myself. <laughs> <clears throat> would you rather have your hands cut off or cut somebody's hands off? Whoa. I'm ser- Like, great question, right? I... Yep, I can't live with the guilt. That's, so. that's how yeah. I would be. I couldn't. Like, take them. Take them, mom. Yep. It's like when I was in high school for driver's ed. We had a driver's ed program that was part of the school. Um, and our instructor one day said, which was a weird, he was an oddball kind of instructor. And he said in one day, he goes, if you're driving, it would be better for you to kill somebody than to injure them. What, would it? So, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then we had kind of a low watt student <laughs> in my class who raised his hand and then asked the follow-up question like, so does that mean we should back up and finish them off or <laughs> no oh no oh man I don't even know what to say to that <laughs> like it takes quite a bit to make me speechless but hmm. huh yeah huh anyway okay, just things you think about <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, Becky, what have you been working on with the magazine issue? Um, I've actually just finished up. Uh, we have some counter height stools for this issue that are perfect for that kitchen island. Um, just finished up routing that. Um, it's on to our, oh, what would you call him? Freelance? Freelance editor? Proofreader. X. Ex-proofreader, Brian Nelson, he still does a lot of work with us, so I'm waiting to hear back from him. He's usually the one that has the most to say. I'll just say it. I'll just say it like that. Yeah. Um, When Brian was here, he had a reputation for making (laughs) comments. (laughs) In two ways. Comments you couldn't read either. Yeah. No, I worked with him for... I don't know, what was it, 15 years or more? And it it takes a while to learn to be able to speak and interpret Brian's writing. Because we all had different ink colors, so you knew who it was. And Brian had this light blue pen and wrote in a, in a doctor's prescription scrawl. Yes. <laughs> so it was tough to say. Like, it, let me preface it by the fact that Brian's one of my favorite people. And I learned a lot from him in writing and in woodworking, and he's a great guy. But he also had a penchant for making pointed comments that sometimes made you frustrated over either their (laughs) obviousness that you had missed something or like, hey, dude, we can only cover so much here. Uh, I was going to say... Having never worked with Brian, I interviewed with Brian, um, but I had never had him edit any of my stuff. When we started uh, having stuff sent to him, that was the most frustrating thing. Like, I know it's going to come back with a bunch of stuff. And the frustrating part is it's all stuff like, yeah, dummy, I should have seen that. Like, like, hey, how can you do this if you did this just before? Shut up, Brian. Yeah. Of course I knew that. Yes. That's implied. Uh, yes. Yeah. Or some of them. And he's. I think he's gotten a little better just thinking back through the projects we've done. I've, I've had him proofread. Um, I think he's gotten better at this. But there is, there are a handful of times 
where he'll he'll leave a comment or he has tendency to leave a comment like why was this you know why was this built like this when it could have been done this way it was much simpler much more simple and it's like well i don't know but that's something we, that should have been discussed during the meeting not right now when we're three days from going to the pre-press <laughs> yeah like so you know it's just one of those things speaking of which speaking of working with people okay i met one of the former woodsmith editors this last weekend you did that was fun yeah so i got a hold, this guy got a hold of me actually this guy got a hold of my buddy russ who has a circular or a swing blade sawmill down the road from me? And Russ and I were down working on my tractor a week or two ago. He's like, "Hey, he's like, I'm going to give your name to this guy who called me. He wants some white oak that he has slab, live edge slabs. A swing blade mill can't do that. It just can't." Uh, so he said, "I'm just going to send him to you if that's fine." I said, "Yeah, that's fine." So John calls me. Um, this guy, his name is John. He calls me. He's like, "Hey, you know, here's uh, here's what we're looking to do." I said, okay, great. You know, can you guys get the logs to me or do I need to come to you? He said, no, we can get them to you. So they got these two white oak logs, probably 18 inches in diameter, about eight foot, eight and a half foot long, into the back of uh, one in one Ford Ranger, the other in the other Ford Ranger. So they come to my house and, you know, I unload them and stuff. We're standing there talking and the the, the guy, John, uh, he said, hey, he's like, just interested. What, what type of chainsaws do you run? And I said, oh, I run steels, and I was kind of telling him what I had. And I, I said, you know, we, we have a big one that we're going to be putting on a, a uh, Alaskan mill for a magazine article. And the the older gentleman there said, oh, what, what magazine do you work for? I said, oh, popular woodworking, you know, but for the last couple of years I've been at, at Woodsmith Magazine. And it was our former editor, Ted Rafe, uh, which I thought was super cool. It was fun to stand there and talk to him. And kind of he was kind of reminiscing over the old – August home staff and who was here and because Ted probably left what probably seven or eight years ago something like that yeah probably um so that was it was super cool uh and my wife then comes storming out of the house like you're just sitting here chatting I need to leave so uh, I had to cut it <laughs> short but <laughs> she had a and good I work. bet he looks the same as he did seven or eight years ago Big Probably. burly mustache. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Yep. Very soft spoken. Yeah. Yes. He's one. He seems like he's one of the guys that rarely says anything, but when he says something, you should probably listen to it. Yeah. So. The last time I saw Ted, I was on a trip to Winterset with my mom to go watch prairie chickens dance at sunrise. <laughs> it's an Iowa thing. <laughs> No, it's not. And <laughs> it isn't. It, it actually and I turn is. Around, is it? But there were yeah. like these bleachers, and these people had brought donuts. Like it's a whole event. Yeah. And what? I turn around, and there's Ted Rafe, and I'm like, "Oh, hi. <laughs> How's retirement?" <laughs> yeah, weird. Huh. Weird things that happen when you run into old coworkers. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's, it was it was cool because I cut those two oak logs for him. And uh, John was going to pay me for him, and I was like, "Hey!" I was like, he was asking me about what chainsaws I ran because he's a steel mechanic for, oh. um, for a lot of Ace Hardware's <clears throat> here in town. Really? Yeah. So I was like, "Hey, I got a chainsaw that won't run. How about we do a little swappy swappy?" And I just cut these for you, and you fix my chainsaw. So he did, and I All picked right. it up last night. It was great. That's cool. Yeah. You're I remember for a while, I am. Ted and I lived not that far apart, and uh, we carpooled to work uh, for several years. That was pretty fun. Cute. <laughs> he <would> come, <clears throat> he'd come pick me up. And and I, I'm trying to remember if it was John or if it was his other son. Like one day I got into the car, and it's like, there's Ted and one of his kids. And I didn't realize that he was going to be there and we were driving to work and Ted's like, so tell Phil how you got here. Cause the kid was attending the university of Iowa and wanted to come home for the weekend, but didn't have a car. So he had hopped a train 
<laughs> this and, is awesome. And and boxcarred his way from Iowa City to Des Moines. And that is amazing. Yeah. Completely so, illegal, and I don't endorse it at all. Right. But I want to hear everybody's stories about this because yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. I was like, first, like we people do that still, or oh, yeah, apparently. Huh. Anyway, so that was kind of fun. But no, I really Ted and I started at Woodsmith on the very same day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and he had actually done some work for Woodsmith in prior years because one of the buildings next door that we're not in anymore had a large carriage house behind it because it was one of the old houses or estates in in Des Moines here and when Don had that building he remodeled the carriage house and did just went nuts on the inside for interior woodwork and stuff and Ted did a bunch of the work for that when he was a he was a self-employed woodworker he did that for okay. a number of years. Um, Ted also worked at uh, Living History Farms. It's a living history museum here in Des Moines and was uh, built a lot of the windows in the church that are on the grounds. And he actually built them twice because the church burned down and he had to redo it. So. I'm sure he doesn't listen to it, but I'm pretty sure he also met his wife while working out there. So, hmm. anyway, cool. Ted's a super so was, cool guy. Was he Woodsmith or was he Shop Notes? He was Woodsmith. He was um, a Woodsmith editor. Yeah, when we were hired, Woodsmith and Shop Notes were both growing, and I started out doing tips for both Woodsmith, Woodsmith and Shop Notes, and then did a couple of articles for both as well. And Ted did primarily uh, Woodsmith. Somewhere in there, we had a, we kind of just blended the two staffs together. And then everybody had like a couple of Woodsmith articles and a couple of shop notes articles, thinking that would help stagger out our due dates and make deadlines easier. The reverse happened. It was awful. So we had a, there was a meeting that we had several years after that experiment started where Ted and I were asked to pick which one. So I went with the shop note staff and worked there for several years. And I mean, we still read and copy edited and whatever. and knew exactly what was going on because our cubicles were right next to each other. But yeah, lots of fun. Work, working on two magazines at the same time sucks. Yeah. Yeah. He also appeared on several of the early season one episodes of the TV show. Hmm. I think a lot of people appeared on this season <laughs> right. one. Right, yeah, episode. no, that one had a cast of thousands. Like, everybody everybody had a cameo there. Yeah. So can we talk about the topic that I was really excited for? Okay. Shop snacks. Shop snacks. Now, a few few episodes ago, Becky, we had talked about the possibility of having or the interest in the three of us of having a shop coffee maker, mm -hmm. like a dedicated beverage station in your shop, or if you'd have a fridge in there as well. I feel like the people probably do that. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it was in the context of Logan building his new shop next spring, if oh. he would have that. <clears throat> and John moving, if he was going to consider that. But he's going to be in an attached garage. And Well, and we talked about always wanting a coffee maker on our the TV set. Right. Like a legit working coffee maker. Yeah, on the set that you'd be able yeah. to see. Because I think it would be... I think it's a, it's a luxury item that would be... That a lot of people would aspire to have. Yeah, well, and... Well, you and I drink a fair amount of coffee. Right. John, not so much. Not so much. Either, so. I feel like there's enough Starbucks popping up that you could probably get one in your new building. That's true. That's true. The, <laughs> the Vidalia Drive 
Starbucks. Right. Yes. Or at least a Scooter's drive-thru yes. or something. <laughs> yes. That's true. But connected to that is what you would have in terms of shop snacks. Mm-hmm. Where this started from is just before we went live to record here, Logan says something along the lines of, what's my Hot Pocket stash look like right now? <laughs> it was empty. Spoiler alert. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I, okay. Hot Pockets are a great shop snack. And I'm saying this because I have recently rediscovered my love of Hot Pockets. Not necessarily like the Pizza Hot Pockets. I like the breakfast Hot Pockets, like the bacon, egg, and cheese ones. So, like, I recently okay. discovered, I don't know what brand they are, but there's a, there, somebody makes a Hot Pocket, bacon, egg, and cheese Hot Pocket with a pancake crust. So it's like the salty and sweet thing. They're phenomenal, and it's the perfect shop snack. You make it in the microwave, it comes with a wrapper, you cook it in it, and you hold it with it. And you can eat it while you're walking around trying to decide what you need to do next. Right. So your coffee bar needs a microwave as yes. well. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Or, so to microwave or... your coffee after, right? No. No, you didn't. <laughs> that you know, that I have too. a problem with that. <laughs> so that would be the question that I have for listeners and viewers is to send in is, A, do you have a microwave in your shop? Or would you be interested in having one along with a coffee maker? And what would your shop snack be? Because I think I like the idea, I agree, of the, I mean, it's got to be hand food. You know, oh, yeah. You're not going to have yeah. plates and forks and all that kind of stuff out there. But No. Well, and, and, and here's my other thought, is that it has to be, it can't, I think most, most shops being in the garage generally or an exterior shop more than likely have little critters that frequent Sure. Shop. So you don't necessarily want like a bag of popcorn sitting there because okay. they could just nibble through it or, uh, you know, a bag of Doritos or something. They could nibble through it. Yeah. So I'm thinking like something in the fridge, something in the freezer, Hot Pockets, you know. Okay. Totino's pizza rolls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be, eh. You have to have a plate for that or a bowl. True. But Unless I mean, you, you could have like, you could have a stack of paper plates out in your shop yeah that's fair yeah i the ambient dust flying around kind of like that top plate's always or the top plate's always the top plate you take it off you take yeah, one it's and a you sacrificial put it back. top plate right or my wife uh when we had our camper um she had a plate holder so it's like a it's like a tupperware for plates the lid comes off you take your plates out all right all right so it keeps it dust free Pop-Tarts? What about Pop-Tarts? Oh, yeah. That's legit. Yes, that is an end of world. You have to have that stash somewhere, and why not in your shop? Mm-hmm. This is coming from Becky, who is a pretty picky eater. Probably the pickiest eater we have on staff. <laughs> but we yeah, in we have <laughs> to admit that in our don't. video studio, yes, and in our photo studio, I keep that one <laughs> stocked as well, we have a drawer of... Hostess, Little Debbie's, Halloween candy. Cosmic brownies. And it started, I was bringing it in because as the only girl on staff and who doesn't do a lot of woodworking, when I need a favor, you just pay them in candy and (laughs) cakes. and, And then I discovered that most of the wives of the staff members don't let their husbands have that kind of snack at home. So, it is our secret stash at work. Well, we and we take turns filling it. Yes. Usually. Well, sometimes usually, there's a fiver in the drawer. Yeah, sometimes right. people drop money in there, but like, yeah. Now, I will say I don't it's very rare uh I get judged pretty often. But you get <laughs> no. judged a lot when yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you get judged a lot when you walk into Price Chopper and you have a basket and it is just full of every item off a little Debbie end cap, like (laughs) cosmic brownies, oatmeal cakes, little zebra cakes, you know, just everything. But you just need that little bit of sugar to get you through the end of the day. Right. Or as a substitute lunch, for example, if you didn't bring one in or. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yep. Well, and eat, people may have noticed at the beginning of the episode, I was eating my Hi-Chews, my little fruit snack candies, because that's all I had here today. And a Cosmic right. Brownie. <laughs> so, it is what it is. I think candies are like a fine chop snack, though. Yeah. Yeah, I packaged. think so. Yeah. 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 Have you guys seen the... Uh, <laughs> Who was it? Somebody made it was uh, some YouTuber made an Oreo dispenser, like a chin operated Oreo dispenser. You walk up to it, put your chin on it. So if you're like carrying a bunch of wood, you can put your chin on it, and it shoots an Oreo in your mouth. Nice, All right. yes. plunger. Yeah, it's we need John to yep sign that tip. There we go. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we might have talked about this. If you're not having coffee in your shop, what what do you have in your shop? Tea. Mm. Waters, uh, my buddy Greg that I go turn with occasionally. He had until he got his new air compressor that we we moved his beer fridge out of his shop to put the air compressor in. But the beer was for me as I'm sitting there watching him turn, not sure. for the turner. You don't woodwork and drink, right? Um, but like, what do you what do you drink in your shop, Phil? Uh, I usually have water out there. Um, okay. My I don't know. I, if I had a dream shop, I would love to have uh, a fridge out there where I could keep uh, a variety of root beers. Okay. Mm. Like the talk- Sprecher selection? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or Millstream Brewing Company for okay. the, the Iowa folk. Um, I have in-laws in St. Louis and got connected to Fitz's root beer. So if anybody's ever had Fitz's, that's some that's some solid stuff. I'll accept that. So yeah, I'm a I'm a root beer aficionado. That's what I would have. Okay, that's fair. See, and I don't I don't usually drink a bunch of soda, but you know what I did buy recently when I was at Menards? I bought a six pack of Sundrop. Oh, oh baby, I love it! Wow. Love it, yeah. It was like it was like two bucks for a six pack of bottles, and if I ever, very rarely do I crave a soda, but it's like it hits the spot. Yeah, no, Sun Drops, good stuff. Yeah, grapefruit flavor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what if we put a water fountain in, like you see like at the old mall? School. Yeah. But Phil's would be filled with root beer, of course. Sure. Okay, that'd be fine. I always thought it would be cool to have on the set. One of those old school uh, soda machines, where yeah. instead of being like the vending machine that's upright, it was the like chest style where you had the oh. you had to slide mm-hmm. it open and you pulled the bottle out and had the had the opener on there. I always thought that'd be cool to find a a vintage one of those to be able to have yeah. as shop art. So, where if you have a drink in your shop, where do you put your drink? I actually have a designated beverage placement surface. Okay. Because, <clears throat> and, and there's a reason. Uh, no, I no, I mean, I know, I know. And I asked this, this question for a reason, but I wanted to know why. Right, because <laughs> I've had my first, the bench that I had up until earlier this year had an MDF top. And I set soda cans on that bench periodically in the summer where it condensed and had like the little raised MDF soda ring mm-hmm. or staining. So I actually have a, I made a cart in my shop cause it's in the garage that I keep my like car care stuff with. So like mechanics tools and yep. all that kind of stuff. And the top of that is MDF also, but I put like 113 coats of polyurethane on it. So it's fully saturated. And that that surface I know is meant to get beat up and oil spilled on it and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like right as I turn around behind my bench is where it is. And so if I go out there and I have, you know, a travel mug of coffee or Mm -hmm. water or whatever, it always goes there and then usually serves as a good memory aid to bring it into the house when I'm done. Now, I, I asked this because I don't ever really – occasionally I'll have, a, I'll have a coffee cup in my shop with me, 
my, my shop's in the basement, so it's like I got a mini fridge, you know, 10 steps outside my shop. But, like, I don't usually have drinks with me, and I can just see myself, like, if I put it on my bench, it gets knocked over onto something. Right. Or it gets knocked on the floor. If I sit on my table saw, my table saw is going to have a bunch of rust rings. Rust on rings. Because I know yeah. a lot of people that have rust rings all over their table saw. Or jointer. Or joint, <laughs> yes, yes. Mark and his joiner, yes. <laughs> so like, and I mean that's a good, that's a great example. Mark always has a cup of tea with him, right? Not being stereotypical to English people, he always has a cup of tea with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just like maybe I have a workbench build coming up for Popwood here in about three, four issues. Flip out cup holder, ching, like. There old, like, 1992 Corsica style. Like, you push a button on the side, it slides out, and foot drops down. There you go. All yep. right, I can see that. So, I'm on this podcast to call people out. This is my call out to your twin there, Dylan. Oh, yeah, he's bad about it. That guy has <laughs> coffee mugs, glasses, cups, cups everywhere. Tupperwares. You know where he, he's been because <laughs> there will be a little cup yeah. in his wake. Yep, yep. That's funny. We uh, were Dylan, Dylan and I were doing photos all day yesterday, and I think there was like four coffee cups <laughs> and like a gateway takeout container sitting there. And I'm pretty sure he was using another gateway takeout container for water so he could scrub his glue joints when he was done. <laughs> all right. Oh, man. That's funny. But yeah, uh, if you had a built-in cup holder. Yeah, I mean, there it is. Yeah. But now I have this problem with my truck though. I have so many different styles of coffee mm. cups. They don't there's like not a universal one and it annoys the crap out of me. So there's not a universal cup holder that will hold every single style. Maybe so. like a you know, like the tool rack phenomenon for tool storage, like an open tool rack that you build in not only something that can hold like chisels and screwdrivers and that kind of coffee stuff, mug. but coffee mug. Yeah. Like I don't mind, like if I'm going to be in the shop with coffee, use something like my Craig cup here. Right. That has one of these. And yeah. I actually, de- I just debated this with a friend of mine this week on the validity of having an open and close. Cause he's the type of guy, he pours a cup of coffee, he puts four ice cubes in it immediately. And he drinks it cold. He, he can't drink hot. He cannot drink or eat hot stuff. And I'm like, straight out of the coffee pot, let's pour it down the throat hole. Yeah. And he's like, well, he's like, I, I always get the one with the lid, and then I just leave it open. I was like, well, why do you have the lid then? But dust flap. That's what that yep. is. That's true. Yeah. So. No, I've had, uh, I've had fiber-enriched beverages in my <laughs> shop before. Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily the best. So... Have worse though. Right, that's true. All right, that siren means that it's the end of another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. So, if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can leave them in the comment section on our YouTube channel or email us woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Coming up on episode 100 in a few episodes, and we want to make that one kind of special, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Otherwise, thanks to Becky for joining us at the last minute. And we'll see you next week for another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. Bye, everybody. This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.